I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, when I say I have a treat for you today, I have a motherfucking Reese's Peanut Butter Cup pumpkin-shaped treat for you. I got to interview a contributor to the cut. I'm going to tell you all about her in a little bit. I was so nervous, a real-life journalist that I got to interview Before we get into that and I tell you more about her, I want to do some little pop culture updates for you. First off, a certain little prediction we had about Harry Styles in a certain Marvel movie called The Eternals that Salma Hayek was in. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but if you go back to episode 85, what we predicted back then has come to fruition. And I personally am so excited. I might have to go to a midnight showing of The Eternals. I haven't done that in so long because I have my butt in bed at 9 p.m. But I don't know. I think for this, I might have to do it. Just do the thing. And it's if you're wondering, this thing that I'm talking about, I'm trying to be vague, but guys, come on. It's that Harry Styles is in The Eternals. Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, He's in the after credit scenes. I'm not going to say any more than that, but I will say if you want to go back to that episode, I do say and guess correctly who he ends up being. Courtesy of the internet, I didn't pull this just from my own brain, but I did say it was going to happen and it did happen. So I watched the Brad Leone and Paris Hilton. It's called Taste Testers. It's a series on Bon Appetit. It used to be called Taste Buds, which was a way more adorable name because, you know, it's a double meaning, like taste buds on your tongue and buds like friends. And I don't know if it was a trademark issue or what, but they changed the name to Taste Testers. And Brad Leone, I mean, he is just the love of my life. Not actually. He's married. He has a family. I'm not, you know, saying that he's actually the love of my life. But if I had to envision, like, the man I want – it would be Bradley Oni, but like maybe a little less chaotic because his kitchen, when they showed shots of his kitchen, was a lot for me to take in. And so the concept of this series is that he pairs up with a celeb and they taste whatever it is. It could be cheese, it could be meat. And this week it was Paris Hilton and berries. And it is just such a funny crossover. I highly recommend watching it. And I haven't recommended Bon Appetit content in a while because, as we know, they had that reckoning and shit hit the fan but it is a fun video if you want a nice little one-off and really my main takeaway from this is that when Paris Hilton eats pomegranate seeds she spits out the seed which I'm sorry that's just incorrect you pop the whole thing in your mouth and you eat it there's no argument in that that is just how it is I am a little disappointed because in this interview that I'm about to tell you more about she actually interviewed Emily Bodie and I really wish I had asked her more about Emily Maybe I have to have her back on. I would love to have her as like a frequent contributor to give her hot takes on pop culture. Uh, But I don't think I've ever said it on here before. But Emily Bodie, who is such a hot designer right now, she dressed Lord for the Met. She always dresses male stars. They love her. Like Lakeith Stanfield loves her. Harry Styles loves her. The dad on Gossip Girl was talking about how he felt so cool because he got a Bodie jacket. And her stuff, I went to her shop last time I was in New York. I mean, it is probably one of the coolest shops I've ever been in. Everything is curated to a T, but in this really lived-in, organic kind of way. And um, the twist to all of this is that I actually went to school with her sister, and 
I mean, I have friends who were like very close with her sister and I knew her tangentially and I, she was the sweetest girl. Everyone loved her. And, um, just being like that one degree from Emily Bodie, I'm so intrigued with her. And I just, I, I wish I had asked, uh, our guests how that interview went, but alas, we'll have something to talk about next time on a little sad note before we get into the interview, a very sad note. Um, as I'm sure you've probably already heard, Alec Baldwin was filming a movie and the director of photography was shot when he was using a, Alec Baldwin was using a prop gun. It went off, apparently had a live bullet in it. And I think what a lot of people are realizing through this whole thing coming out is that prop guns actually are real guns and they just have blanks in them. And for some reason there was a live bullet. It killed her, Helena Hutchins, and it injured um, one of the directors as well, but he's recovered. He's out of the hospital now. I mean, it's truly just such a tragedy. Honestly, my heart goes out to the families, but it also goes out to Alec Baldwin because just living with that guilt and I, I can't even imagine. And it's, it, I, I really don't have words. I usually don't even like to talk about something as sad and tragic as this on here, but it just felt wrong to not even touch on it. I also say all of this with a grain of salt because things are unfolding with this story every minute as the day passes. I did read that it was a live bullet in the gun, but for all we know, it was a situation where it was a prop gun and it just misfired for some reason. I think we will get answers soon uh, clarifying things because people are so invested in, in what's going on with this and I'm hoping that people are invested to make sure it never happens again. But the other reason I wanted to talk about this because I had a friend ask like a legal perspective on what I thought would happen with this. And I don't think that this is a groundbreaking take, but I in no way think that Alec will have criminal charges brought against him. Potentially the prop master who did this could, but I really don't think that will happen. I think this will be much more, unless there's some showing that he did this intentionally and it was premeditated. But beyond that, I think it'll be a civil suit um, brought by the estates of both the deceased and the injured man against the production company, against the prop company, if that was separate. Anyone who has an insurance company with fairly deep pockets that they can go after, and I hope they get as much money. I mean, no, there's no price you can put on someone's life, but I think in this, you always want people to be compensated in some way. And I'm guessing that it won't go to trial. I think they will settle I'm sure that it will be a high number amount in the millions, and that's my prediction for how that's going to go. But no criminal car- charges, just a civil case, most likely against the companies with big insurance policies. And the other thing that makes this all so crazy is that back in 1993, Bruce Lee's son died also via prop gun, and I'm just mind blown that in 2021 they're still using prop guns with blanks in them because with brand brandon lee bruce lee's son he died because there was an issue with basically some debris that was in the uh blanks is my understanding and everything else these days is cgi it's like why can't we do that with guns too i mean i get that movies want things to look realistic but i think after this there's going to be reform when it comes to props maybe even stunt work because i mean when people who aren't even involved in what would normally be the dangerous part of the job are being affected by this you know 
they didn't they didn't sign up for it and i just something's got to change you know Guys, remember how I said this story is changing every second? I just had to add this in because I just saw an article that came out. It's being reported by the Los Angeles Times that hours before the fatal incident occurred, that members of the camera crew, all of whom were part of IATSE, that's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. That's a union um, and a guild. They walked off set because they were protesting unsafe work conditions and Helena Hutchins, who did not join them in the walk-off, had tried to advocate for better conditions, according to the report. One of the workers is quoted as saying corners were being cut and they brought in non-union people so they could continue shooting. And I'm sorry, I don't actually know if that was one of the workers. That's just from an anonymous source. Um, It goes on to state that these tragedies are rare because of all the safety procedures and trainings that go into using prop guns. But I just wanted to update you on that because I thought that was kind of an insane update that people were already worried about the uh, safety conditions on set. And that is definitely something that will go into and play a role in whatever lawsuits are brought on this. And actually, before this came out, I had seen a tweet by someone who goes by the name of at T underscore NYC um, talking about how there was issues with this being a low budget tier contract with low rates. And because these rates were so insanely low, it was, you know, affecting the quality and the safety of what was going on. So just to flesh out the story a little bit. All right, getting off that sad note, get your spirits up, get excited. I am so excited for this interview today. It is with Laura Pitcher. She has written for so many amazing publications, Vogue, Teen Vogue, Refinery29, Guardian, New York Times, The Cut, ID, Dazed, Marie Claire. I mean, the list goes on and on. She is so great about taking this philosophical lens on fluffy pop culture she covers more serious items she really does a lot of trends and I think you guys will love this interview because all of her answers were so thoughtful and I think it's pretty fun I mean again I was so nervous and I'm still not a pro at interviews by any means but again I'm just so thankful that Laura came on thank you to Paradigm and Jess for setting this up and here you go Laura, thank you so much for coming on Kinda Cute. Right off the bat, I have to say you look so much like Zara Larson. Do you get that a lot? Wait, I actually don't know who that is. I would have to look that up. Do I, is that is she's that... like my favorite <laughs> Swedish pop star? Oh, really? <laughs> she's looking... gorgeous. She's so cool. I'm looking her up. It's definitely a compliment, but yeah, I haven't heard of her. Oh my God. I'm shocked. Literally, I thought this and I showed my friend that I was interviewing you and she goes, oh my gosh, she looks like Zara Larson. I was like, right? I had the same thought. I mean, I am (laughs) flattered. I do get people telling me that I look like a lot of people, like their cousins and stuff. I think just like any, (laughs) any like Swedish looking person, (laughs) I kind of get the resemblance to. Um, But yeah, it's a compliment. So she looks, she looks like a nice, nice girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you are from New Zealand. You worked in New York, and you are currently in London. If that, I think I have that right. Can you walk us through that path a little bit and how you got to where you are, and just a little bit about your writing journey? 
Yeah, so I am from New Zealand and I actually studied design in New Zealand um, and started uh, interning for a magazine there. And then while I was there and I was interning as a designer, they just asked me to write some like street style column. Um, honestly, because they just needed the help. And I was like always interested in writing, but I hadn't really written at all. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe over the course of working for that magazine for like two years, I ended up designing and writing. And eventually by the, by the end of my time there, I was like writing more than I was designing. Um, so it kind of just happened. I didn't, I didn't even study, I didn't study journalism. Um, I, yeah, I studied design. I just kind of ended up in it. And once I figured out that I wanted to be a writer, um, I knew that New York would probably be the best and like the most chaotic, but also the best place for me to go. Um, so I'd never been and I just decided to move there. And yeah, I was there for four years. Um, and it's a great, like, it's a really, it's a, it's the best and worst place <laughs> to live. <laughs> and now I'm currently in London, but I actually am just here temporarily. I'm, I miss New York. I'm going to go back. Okay, cool. Yeah, I read one of your, um, I think it was from Marie Claire Australia, and you talked mm -hmm. about, you know, it was a jump motivated by an adolescence that consisted of binge watching both Sex and the City and Gossip Girl, but that it worked out pretty well. So I loved that story <laughs> where you're like, I'm going to give you advice on how to get to New York. And I I just did it and it worked out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit impulsive. So I must admit, like me moving to New York, it was kind of like I hadn't been there. And it was obviously all those TV shows are set in New York. Even me now in London, everything I see, I'm like, oh, it's just like skins. Like I'm all just, <laughs> it's just a reference point. I don't necessarily, I just like to kind of travel around, live in different places. But New York is definitely at this point home. Because um, New Zealand, I haven't lived there, you know, in almost five years. So it does, it, I feel a little like disconnected from it. I love New York. I'm so jealous. I was just there like last weekend and it's it's the best time but I always leave slightly exhausted yeah yeah it's a lot but it's definitely a place to like kickstart your writing career I don't know I did by the time I left New Zealand I had written for Vice and a lot of other places there and it was maybe I felt like I had written for almost everywhere that I could in New Zealand um but yeah New York it's like endless endless places to write for yeah do you identify as a Gen Z or millennial yeah, so this is interesting. I'm on the cusp and I actually, I write about Gen Z a lot, but yes, I've I noticed. <laughs> but so I feel like I, I think there's a lot of people who are in this in between. I'm technically a millennial, but I have a sister who's also a millennial, but she's six years older than me. And I do feel like our life experiences are quite different and our perspectives are quite different. So I feel like there's maybe they need to make another one where, which is in between that's identical to my sister. I'm mm. six years older than her and she's 26. Yeah. So very similar, I feel like. And she also identifies as like, she feels more millennial, I think, having me as an older sister, but she calls herself like, you know, what is it? A zillennial? Oh, is there <laughs> a already? Zillennial when you like. Is there a term Yeah, that's the, okay, the cusper well then, term. I'm, I'm a zillennial then. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. So this is a podcast partially about the cut and you are our very first guest who is a cut contributor and you wrote about soft launching a significant other on social media what spurred that idea 
Yeah, I loved I loved writing that piece for them. Um, so essentially, what's for the idea is just seeing it. I I was just on Instagram, seeing a lot of elbows, seeing a lot of <laughs> seeing people post like the back of their man's head, and then you'd see maybe the full reveal on their close friends. And I just found it really interesting this idea of soft launching a partner. Um, it was the comedian Rachel Sennett who I love who actually came up with that term. Um, and I wanted to look into it more because I think it's so bizarre how we're at the point where we think that our social media, pe- we think that people care so much about our social media that we have to like slowly reveal a partner when ultimately like no one, no one really cares that much. Like we're not famous. <laughs> None of us are famous. <laughs> so you think the soft launch is intentional. Like people are purposely just putting it out. I think, okay, so I think it is something that does happen subconsciously. It's something, it's like a cult at the, at this moment, it's like a subconscious cultural shift. But at the same time, I think that we do think about, okay, let me just post the back of his head. Because if we are putting different things on our close friends than our public, if we're posting them on our close friends, but not posting them publicly, then there is some thought behind that. Like we must be making some kind of divide of what the, the, main public can see of our relationships and I totally get it from a privacy perspective um but I also just think it's really funny and kind of ridiculous um (laughs) I take I take a lot of film photos so actually I do post people that I'm seeing just straight to my feed but it's in amongst like 10 of my friends so you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to tell you wouldn't be able to tell who's who and I kind of like that but but yeah, I don't know. I think it, I think it's just an interesting thing. Um, and I, that being said, I say that people don't care, but I'm always intrigued when people when I see people soft launching their partners. So maybe we all do care about each other's dating life more than we think. Yeah, honestly, same. But I can't say I've seen like a friend do that. I feel like I see more of a celebrity do that. So now I'm gonna have my eye out to see if people are doing that, and I'm gonna pay closer attention. <laughs> yeah, I think it started with celebrities. Um, And that's for obvious reasons. Like celebrities almost need to do that. And that's what makes, you know, headlines. But I definitely see a lot of my friends doing that as well. We're all all our own brands at this point. Yes. And along those same lines, you've also written about normcore boyfriends and mixed clout relationships. Can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) I know. So those are some of my favorite pieces. I actually never thought I would write about dating. But I think there's just so many interesting things happening in in dating at the moment. And I am single myself. So these ideas just kind of come from (laughs) my own experiences in dating. But in terms of the normcore boyfriend, um, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous term. I got like trashed on and I got trashed on TikTok for calling it that. I got. Wait, did you come up with that? Um, No, I, I mean, I don't know who came up with that. Um, that's just like a term. I guess normcore, the term has been around for so long. Um, yes, but normcore boyfriend. I feel like I've seen that a lot recently. And I wonder if one of your articles kind of sparked that coming into the internet dialect. Maybe. Who knows? With Twitter, who knows? Like, I would never be able to claim a term like that. True. Because it's probably <laughs> been tweeted like two years ago. <laughs> um, but I think it's just, I mean, ultimately, all these things sound like really silly terms, like soft launching a boyfriend, normcore boyfriends. But the reality is, is just kind of looking at 
uh, I like to look at how dating has changed during the pandemic and just in recent years. And, it, and they're quite like light, fun terms. But I think that we all actually have really reflected on what we want from a partner in the last few years um, in a deeper way. And I think maybe, I mean, it's interesting, the, the, the norm core boyfriend thing, I really wanted to write about that because Bella Hadid's boyfriend is someone that I would probably have said no on on a dating app. And I found it, <laughs> I found it so bizarre and so interesting that, and, and a little bit disheartening, honestly, that Bella Hadid, I, I mean, it's great, but if Bella Hadid is dating him, then these like, these guys who already have these inflated sense of egos really are going to believe they can date anyone. Can I say I had the exact same thought, like exactly the same. I was like, if that's what Bella is getting, I'm going to have a troll under the bridge. No, I know. <laughs> I know. And this is nothing against him. Like, I do not know him. Yeah. And this is actually nothing against him. I'm sure he's lovely. But I think we can all relate to seeing, you know, our friends, especially women in relationships with men, um, kind of like our really beautiful, intelligent friends dating these like very average guys. Um and essentially I just think that it was a really I mean we've all kind of picked up on that um but to see Bella Hadid do it was yeah as I say it's a little disheartening but yeah and I have this theory and maybe this is just like the patriarchy ingrained in me or something that there's just so many good women and not enough good men yeah, I think that there is, there, is, there we are kind of outnumbered. Um, and I don't know, I think there is this idea that perhaps going for a guy who, you know, maybe someone doesn't expect you to go for, or um, might they might be nicer to you. But I don't know, I, I sometimes worry they, that if you give, if you give a man a chance, I think that like, they will find a way to underappreciate you. Um, so I don't know. I, I I get I get wanting a partner who's offline for sure, but I I definitely am disheartened by some of my even like my amazing friends just ending up with people who I'm like wow like you just have so much more going for you than they do. Um, but yeah, would you be in a mixed clout relationship? Oh, like. I mean, I don't, I'm cloudless, so, so. Wait, that is not true. Are you, you are the most clouded person I've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> so. I mean, okay, well, I'm, I don't feel very clouty. So I think any, I don't know, I don't, a mixed clout relationship for me in my eyes would be me dating someone, I guess, with a lot of clout, um, which would sound like a hassle. I've dated like musicians in the past and honestly wouldn't recommend it. So I think I am leaning more towards the normcore, the normcore boyfriend. But at the same time, I really do want someone who I feel like is like intellectually my equal. And like, I do have like a long list of things that I want. Clout is, doesn't really play into it. Ideally, I want them to have 40 followers. Like I don't want them, I don't, I, I really don't want them to have an Instagram. I think that's, I think that's a growing trend right now where people want their boyfriends to be very offline. Yeah. I just think, I don't know. There's, there's something very attractive. If I'm, if I'm into a guy and I go on his Instagram and he has no photos of himself, maybe they film photos of his friends or his work or whatever. 
that's really attractive. I don't want to see, I don't want to see a man. I don't want to see him, a selfie of a man at this point. <laughs> okay. I also am not going to let this slide by. Would we know any of the musicians you dated? Oh no. Like uh, emerging, <laughs> emerging artists. As I say, like I haven't been in a clouty relationship and I don't know. It's it's no one famous. It's not like me. I'm about a drop that I've been seeing the weekend or whatever. It's, <laughs> I think I think creatives just end up dating other creatives. Um, yeah. I'm so jealous of that. Like I want like more creative friends and a creative boyfriend because I'm a lawyer. So I have a lot of lawyer friends, which love them. But yeah. I'm I always say that I'm like the creatives flock to each other. And I feel outside of the circle. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird, honestly. I think that the circle should. I think for me, I'm trying to make an active step to actually date someone or just make more friends outside of the creative scene. Because I don't think your friend group should consist of just like any one career or any like one person. Um, Agreed. It becomes homogenous. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think we should all be in our little zones. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you have interviewed Emily Bodie, who dressed Lord for the Met Gala, and you've uh, interviewed one of my sister's favorite TikTokers, Elsa Majimbo. If you don't spend your money, then who will? <laughs> what if all your money ends? I've been broke before. <laughs> I didn't die. <laughs> if I spend money, I'm paying taxes. So I'm building my country. <laughs> it's called being patriotic. I'm practicing for being rich. <laughs> and that interview was in Vogue. And I saw that a tweet saying that you loved interviewing Elsa. Mm-hmm. Would you say she was your favorite interview to date? Or who would you say is that, if you can answer? Yeah, for sure. So I actually do, since I do trend pieces, I don't do that many like major interviews. But Elsa was definitely my favorite. Because, I mean, she's hilarious, first of all. Um, so interviewing her, I was just cracking up the whole time. And also that piece was really special to me because, I don't know, I think in terms of, she's obviously a comedian on, she started on Instagram, now she's on TikTok. She's extremely funny, but then she kind of got these Fenty deals and she's actually like a fashion and beauty icon in her own right. And so I was just really excited to kind of give that space to her in that area because she was getting a lot of recognition for just her comedy. Um, But yeah, I would say that's my favorite interview to date. Along those same lines, have you ever had an interview go really wrong? Other than this one, you know. No, no. (laughs) I don't think so. I feel like I've been really lucky in terms of the people that I've interviewed. A lot of, like, designers I've interviewed, I've ended up staying in touch with them. I've become friends with people that I've interviewed. And that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it's a quick 15, 20-minute call, and then you kind of keep moving on with your lives. But I actually haven't had like very negative experiences. And I actually, my favorite people to interview just generally, uh, um, usually like researchers and academics in like a very specific field, because it's so fascinating. They know so much about just like one thing, Um, like maybe the relationship between religion and technology, and you just kind of pick their brain. Um, So no, I've, I've been lucky. I've been pretty lucky on that part. And just as an aside to just state on the record, I think you do a really good job of kind of putting an intellectual lens on pop culture, which I really love. Oh, um, have you. you ever have <laughs> you ever gotten starstruck by anyone? 
Um, as I say, I haven't actually met that many famous people or interviewed them. But I think when I first, when I first came to New York, I think I, like I saw Zoe Kravitz on the street and I definitely have a huge crush on her, but I haven't interviewed any, I haven't interviewed many celebrities, but at this point, I don't find myself very starstruck by celebrities because I just think that after, after being around them and they, they really, at this point, there's very few people who could make me like, I, I would have to have a crush on them for me to be starstruck. <laughs> I just don't find, I guess, fame that intimidating anymore, but I would, I would be nervous to interview Zoe Kravitz. I would be nervous to interview Adam Driver. Um, but anyone who I have a crush on. Okay. So you have a crush on Adam Driver is what you're getting at. Yeah. But, but don't we all a little bit? Okay. See, I don't, (laughs) I find him just like, maybe, I don't know, too large or something. (laughs) No, that's his appeal. He's like a tree. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the minority clearly. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was on mute. Um, sorry. I'm jumping around a little bit, but I just, again, I had so many questions and I was like, I don't even know how to organize all these because I have so many things I wanted to ask you. But you said you participated in a naked book club for a piece. And I tried to find this article, but I couldn't find it. Can you explain what went down for that? Oh, that's such a throwback one. That was for the magazine I worked for in New Zealand. Um, And basically now I do like obscure internet trends, but before I just used to do like obscure like communities, I guess. And yeah, there was a naked book club and I went along to to, to say participate is like really pushing it because I didn't get fully naked. Um, I just felt like maybe it wasn't necessary for the piece. Uh, I'm all for immersive journalism, but, but yeah, that was, that was really great. That was organized by Drag King in New Zealand. um, And it was kind of book club in one part and also like performance in another. Um, I don't say this to pigeonhole you because you write about a ton of things, but I've noticed you've written quite a few articles about sustainable fashion and this intersection of capitalism and culture. And how did you come to focus on those subjects and get into that? Yeah, so I've worked in the sustainability space a bit. I've worked with a few environmental organizations in the past, back when I was doing like design work or more like copywriting work. Um, It's something I've always been interested in. And actually when I first started writing, that I actually wrote more about sustainability than now I write a lot more about culture. Um, it's it's something I wouldn't even necessarily like label myself an environmentalist. It's something I'm interested in, but there's so many people doing like amazing work in that space. I just always found myself gravitating towards those topics and like wanting to like pick their brain. I feel like recently uh, your Squid Game capitalism article went kind of viral I would say I feel like I was seeing it everywhere did you expect that piece to kind of resonate as much as it did yeah I never know I never know what's gonna hit I think people like anti-wellness content and people like anti-capitalist content that's just (laughs) what we're all kind of searching for at the moment um so my pieces on those topics uh resonate with people and that's great um the squid game one I think it was just because everyone was talking about squid game um and I, I mean, obviously it is an ant, like has anti-capitalist themes. And I really just wanted to explore the fact, I think once I saw Jeff Bezos tweet about it, I was like, okay, there's something interesting here. 
because there's an anti-capitalist show and yet we've got Jeff we've got <laughs> we've got Jeff trying to tell us to watch it it's a little bizarre <laughs> yes very and I loved your ending line in that article where you said we should be aware that anti-capitalism is being remarketed to us, to us by the billionaires at Netflix. And really, by watching the show, are we any better than the VIPs who lap up the entertainment? Perhaps that's the most disturbing twist of all. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's so true. <laughs> so dramatic. I know. Sorry to be that dramatic on everyone. But, um, <laughs> but essentially, I think it's just good to think about these things. I actually love Squid Game. I binge watched the whole show. I think it's great to have these types of shows. And even with Parasite and, and any kind of other like anti-capitalist entertainment, I enjoy them myself personally. But I think I just always catch myself being like, well, hey, hold, wait, hold on. I'm I'm watching this on Netflix. So let me just reflect on the fact that Netflix is now selling me anti-capitalism um and I think that's important to consider and I love my friend Bobo who I interviewed um for that piece basically she just said that it's you know it's all fair and well having anti-capitalist content but we haven't actually got any content at the moment which tells us what to do next or how to get out of this capitalist society and and that's I mean I think that was maybe one of the best points in the piece from her um, because a lot of it is really just describing the state in which we live and it would be great. It, it would be really great to see some, I don't know, maybe some positive, maybe a way out because I think that's what we're all, what we're all looking for. Yeah, that I agree. That was such a great point in that article too. Um, and actually that kind of ties in also with something, a running theme I noticed when you talk about sustainable fashion and one of your articles, you talked about how it to many can be like an oxymoron to call someone a sustainable fashion designer because the fashion industry is responsible for some of the negative impact on the environment. Literally as I wear a Zara top, like, yeah, there's no, I, I am there's responsible no shame here. There's no judgment. <laughs> But I thought that was a really good point as well because it's that same idea. It's like, how do we fix it? How do we get out of it? And it's, I think it's really hard mm. to put it lightly. It is. And it won't be, I think that a lot of environmental movements and anti-capitalist movements at the moment in the media, it's all very digestible. It's like, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, we agree. Like, fuck capitalism, Jeff, all of that. But the reality of actually building something new would be extremely difficult, would probably involve a class war. I mean, it would definitely involve a class war. And and I don't know if many of us are actually prepared for that level of action. Um, at the moment, it's all just very digestible. And, and it's the same with the environmental movement. I think that sustainable fashion, and, and that's the thing for me, all of the stuff that I write about, it's not even that I never shop at places or that I've like, perfectly figured it out um I firmly I I I really don't (laughs) the environmental movement and the onus being put on the consumer is something that doesn't sit right with me because like shaming a single mom who is shopping at Walmart is like not I'm never going to do that basically it's always going to be for me the billionaires it's going to be the people that own the big you know multi-million dollar stores those are really the people that I believe we should need to be coming for. Um, and that would be, yeah, that's pretty difficult. And so I don't, I don't have many answers, but uh, there's a lot of people that are like leading 
leading movements and doing that anti-capitalist work on the ground that do. On a slightly more frivolous note, do you have any fashion brands that you really recommend? I mean, so so many. Um, <laughs> my Give us three. Three, wow, that's... I feel like this is pressure, but <laughs> my I'm going to definitely give one of my favorite um, vegan shoe brands called Rombo. They're based in Paris and they make like vegan sneakers that I couldn't find anywhere else. Um, and then in terms of other brands, I really don't, I shop on Depop a lot um, or I love, okay, I'm going to shout out my friend Cherry Kim's brand, Re Studios. Um, she... She How do you spell it? R-H-E-E. So it's Re Studio uh, on Instagram. And she paints these like amazing designs on upcycled jeans. And, and it's all like, I don't know. Basically everything she's doing is great. I love Rombo. And for my third, for my third. I feel like you wear a lot of Meow. Meow? I do. I do, but I'm not I'm not sponsored by them, so I'm not gonna plug them. No, oh sorry, sorry. That's no, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um for me, no, I actually love their stuff. I think that's good. I just whenever someone asks like what my favorite brands are, I'm just I always tend towards to go more towards like what my friends are up to. Um, because I really love, you know, small businesses. Um and shopping on Depop. Cool. All right. I want to get into some of your TikTok concepts. You've talked about so many things on TikTok. The revolt against the thigh gap, the that girl mentality, manifesting hotness and partners through TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed any trends that you haven't already discussed that you feel like are about to break through? Hmm. So actually, there's a couple that I've noticed, but I'm currently writing pieces on them. So I I don't know I should talk about them yet. (laughs) But my favorite thing on TikTok at the moment is actually, I don't know if you've heard of Noodle the Pug. I have. The the Bones and No Bones Day. Yes. Essentially. He's really having a moment. Yeah, I actually love it. And I think that it's really interesting because... I was thinking about it and basically for anyone who hasn't seen Noodle the Pug, it's just this dog, it's a really old dog and the owner every day lifts it up and if it falls down, it's a no bones day, like back onto its beanbag. And if it stands up the first time he lifts it up, it's a bones day, um, which seems really silly, but I was thinking about it and in relation to burnout. And I think that Noodle the Pug in some way has like captured perfectly what we're all feeling at this point in the pandemic. And I think that it's a really fun and lighthearted way to look at it, like bones and no bones day. But I just love the content because I think we all, we're all feeling like we're having no bones days at the moment. And to see this little pug also have them, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really resonated with a lot of people. And I think you hit the nail on the head as to why. Yeah, yeah. I think that Noodle the Pug is the burnout mascot. And I think that (laughs) Noodle is giving a lot of people permission to feel like they don't have to be productive every single day during a global pandemic. Um, And that, I mean, it should have come from elsewhere aside from just a pug on TikTok. But I'm glad that that message is coming from somewhere because I think that we all need it. 
Agree. I need that for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I wanted to talk to you about something I think is a hot topic on TikTok, mm-hmm. and I haven't really delved deep into it, so I don't know if you would have an opinion on this, but there's been a ton of kind of true crime investigators on TikTok, and I think this really came to light with the Gabby Petito case and all these people kind of becoming internet detectives. How do you feel about that trend? Hmm. So true crime on TikTok. Interesting. I don't even think I'm on true crime TikTok. So it's so it's so weird how the algorithm shows you very specific things. I feel like I'm on Noodle the Pug. I'm on I'm on Noodle the Pug TikTok. I'm on like I'm on silly sides of TikTok. Uh, obviously beauty TikTok. I'm on bisexual TikTok. Like all of those things. That's where I'm at on TikTok. I don't even think I don't even think that I've made it. To true crime tiktok so i feel like i'd need to hear more about it yeah that might be a good thing to investigate because people are taking issue with kind of it's almost exploitative you know to take these tragedies and then be like okay well i'm gonna go viral with you know looking into this concept and maybe making some kind of salacious comments about it to get more comments and likes like the thing with gabby petito um mm-hmm. People were saying that Brian Laundrie, who was the main suspect, was like hiding in his parents' backyard under a flower bed because there was drone footage. You know, stuff was getting very kind of out there, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. without much of a basis and reality. And I don't I'm still working through how I feel about it. And I'm not I'm also not exposed to a lot of it on actual TikTok through my algorithm. But I just kind of see about see it in the media going on. Mm. Um, But I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. TikTok is TikTok is a crazy place and I wouldn't say it's a place to solve crimes. I think it is the place for Noodle the Pug and for us all to just do like silly little trends. I think in terms of true crime, I actually used to listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, but then I stopped because I realized that I was walking home at night at like 11 p.m., And in my ears was like the worst stories imaginable about women getting killed and like all of this stuff. And I I don't know, I actually just had to, I made the conscious decision not to engage with that whole like true crime community and all those podcasts, because I think it was making me feel more unsafe in society than I actually am because, you know, obviously terrible stuff does happen, but I don't, I don't want to be walking home and thinking about that in particular I just when we're already thinking about it yeah and I agree with you I think TikTok's at its best when it's at its most frivolous like I like lighthearted stuff when I go on there as well okay I want to move into some sort of just general pop culture topics Mm -hmm. and I'm going to start out with what is maybe a hard hitter or maybe a really easy question Mm -hmm. but why do you think people love pop culture so much and get really into it I mean, it's just escapism. It's just like, I mean, it's drama. It's interesting. I feel like we all get a little bit too invested in these people that we actually don't know anything about. Um, And celebrity culture for people is just, yeah, as I say, I think it's just escapism. I think people don't like their lives (laughs) and are really bored. And we look at other people's lives and especially with celebrities, they look, it looks like they're living like these, their best lives um and become really invested I agree with that because I am totally guilty of loving the escapism of it it's probably the reason I have this 
podcast and there's also a voyeuristic nature to it has always Mm -hmm. been my thing like it's like a loud voyeurism is kind of why I think people are into it but I could just be me yeah for sure we all are a little bit nosy and I don't think there's anything wrong with escapism we all need it in our own forms and whether that's like pop culture whether that's there's absolutely no shit like people that are like oh my god I could never watch Love Island oh my god I could never like that's fine for you but people need to distract themselves from reality exactly um, okay, I have well actually on that same note, are you familiar with Dumois? No. Oh, okay, fascinating. You should it's like D-E-U-X-M-O-I on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She does all these kind of blind pop culture things. She has over a million followers now, I think, and it's celeb sightings. It's kind of intrusive and pe- so it's another thing people have mixed feelings about, but that's okay. an, I would get it's it's interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm definitely going to check it out. Okay, I have another theory that I wanted your take on. Mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian's been pictured a lot lately wearing gloves. Like, in almost all of her appearances. She was in New York. It wasn't even that – it wasn't cold there at all. She's wearing, like, a huge coat, gloves. For a lot of her looks on SNL, she had gloves on. Do you think that's just a sartorial choice? Hmm. I see. See, in some ways, I write about pop culture trends, but in, I didn't even notice that Kim was wearing gloves. Like, I've got to be honest. And so now <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. And I could, I could spend time dissecting what Kim Kardashian does. I feel like everything is strategic. So, like, to assume that she's wearing gloves for no reason, I think, would be silly because everything Kim does is strategic, in some way. She's also been doing, like, obviously what she wore to the Met Gala and everything. There's a lot of, like, weird fashion choices happening with Kim. I feel like it's part of a larger plan. Whether or not I actually care enough to think about what that plan is, is, like, a whole nother story. (laughs) Okay, great answer. You know what I mean? That sums it up. (laughs) There's There's always something going on. There's always, like, there's always, even what Kanye just did with his hair, there's always some... Like, I feel like the gloves will be one thing. She knows what she's going to be doing in five months time and what she's going to be wearing. And like, she's a whole rollout. And I, I mean, good on her, honestly, because that's a lot of planning and forethought, but I just don't know if it's going to be that deep. Like, even with the Met Gala, we all thought like, oh my God, she's like, making all these, everyone was basically making these like assumptions that it was like a super deep narrative and then I saw, didn't she post on Instagram? She was just like, what's more classic American than the t-shirt? And I was like, oh, yes. this isn't that deep. <laughs> this is not. So I would say that the gloves, there's a plan there. There's something happening. It's not going to be deep. Okay. I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> well, my theory was that she had some sort of hand surgery. Really? Can you get an enhancement for your hands? Well, you can get lasers. So I thought maybe she was trying to protect it from the sun. Um, Like her laser, you know, because that's where your age can show a lot, I guess. And I feel like she'd be very conscious of that. Yeah, that's true. I also think that like long gloves are coming back in. For sure. Um, Okay, do you have any, I, I wanted to know if you had any sort of like general hot takes on pop culture. Is there anything you were thinking about? I mean, I think that people have been thinking about (laughs) whether or not it's willingly or not um, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly's whole, um, oh no wait, 
isn't wait who's her who's megan fox's man yeah 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 basically there that instagram post that that interview i think that there's a lot of people who are trashing them at the moment and i think it's funny but at the same time i kind of love chaotic couples and i love publicly chaotic couples (laughs) It's so funny you say that, A, because my last episode, I kind of dove into that British GQ article where all those pull-out quotes came from, and I was going to ask you about how you felt about chaotic couple or celebrity pairings, so you answered that question. Yeah, well, that's something I've been... Yeah, basically, I love them because I'm a chaotic person, so I love chaos. (laughs) I love... I love... And celebrity chaos, I mean especially when it's all fun and games. Like ultimately they're having a good time. Everyone's having a good time and they're not harming anyone. Uh, They are being extremely cringe online. And I think that it's just funny. It's kind of giving me like Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob. It seems like a throwback to, you know, the nineties where celebrity couples were extremely cringe it's 100% that. I've made that same connection. It's, I mean, it, it harkens back to the heyday of tabloid pop culture in my mind. So I love it. Yeah, I love it as well. I'm here for it. I think I, I personally wouldn't, <laughs> I can't imagine. I love the like, the like, what was the line about the green smoothies? It was like chaos, all this stuff. And then she's like green smoothies. I just, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even remember that. Part. It was like, it was honestly, it was on her Instagram and it was the oh, most... Oh. It was like she did that post where it's like, here's the tale of this, this, this. And then it was like all these crazy things. And then she put green smoothies. And if it wasn't, I don't know. I have to believe maybe she did that on purpose. Like it seems maybe she's, I, I can't, surely you're not that that like unself-aware that you would put green smoothies in that list. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm struggling with. I'm like, are they as calculated as your Kim Kardashian and your Taylor Swift? Or is this really them just living their life and having fun? Like, I, I always wonder kind of the element of how much of this is a branding press move and how much of it is truly how they are. Yeah, and, and I guess we'll we'll never really know. But it doesn't really matter because the performance of it is enjoy, enjoyable either Ag- way, you know? Agreed. Yes, 100%. <laughs> um. Okay, I think we can get into some sort of like wrap up questions now. Okay, cool. You asked this question to social media star Young Baby Tate, so I thought I'd spin it on you. Do you know what it is? No, I can't remember. Okay, it says you have to replace your body with that of an animal or a mythological creature. What do you go for and why? Mm, my. Wow, I asked her that. Wow, okay. That was a while ago. <laughs> um. <laughs> My whole body? I mean, you. this is your <laughs> this question. This is my question. <laughs> I really come out with I'm like, wow, I've surprised myself there. I think that my answer is boring. I think you just have to go with the first answer that pops in your head for that one. I've always liked giraffes. Same. Yeah, I've always really liked giraffes. I think they're super tall and I'm kind of tall. And they eat plants and I eat plants. And I've always kind of just felt like if I was going to be anything else, I would be a giraffe. Um, Do you know when they have their babies, they fall six feet to the ground? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long way. They just... 
I mean, I learned that fact years ago. I, I can't really vouch to the factual nature of it, but it, it tracks for me. What would be your animal then? Would your, your animal also be a giraffe? I feel like I've always said giraffe or platypus oh. just because they're mm. kind of odd. I feel like I'm a little bit odd. So I, yeah. I don't know. And I like that they're like mammals, but they lay eggs, I think. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> but I think a giraffe, I think it would be nice. I mean, it's probably a bad decision to make. I don't know how giraffes are doing in, in the state of climate change, but it's the first one. It's the first one that came to my mind. <laughs> and they're very okay, chill. You, yeah. Are you a vegetarian? Yeah, I'm vegan. Oh, okay. I'm pescatarian, so not not as far there, but but I appreciate still, that. Still in giraffe territory. Yes. <laughs> um, you also said earlier that you feel like you're a little bit chaotic. Are you a water sign? No. So I'm actually a Leo, and then I have a oh, Pisces okay. moon. But I think oh. Leos are also chaotic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. us fire signs. <laughs> it's like organized chaos. The way I would describe it is, I'm a chaotic person. But I also like think a lot about things. So I will take a, I will make chaotic decisions, but it's not, I'm never doing anything that's like too crazy. I've thought it through. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> um, do you have a Halloween outfit picked out? I don't. I must admit um, that. Okay. So being from New Zealand, Halloween isn't like. Oh, true. Yeah. Isn't really my thing. So when it comes to Halloween, Thanksgiving, all those ones, I'm not that those two are the same thing, but I always just feel like I kind of forget about it until the last minute. Um, so yeah, I can't say, I don't even know in London if they really do Halloween parties, but they actually, I feel like it's pretty low key there as well. Yeah. In the so UK. I don't know if I'll be dressing up at all, but have you got yours? Yes. I'm, I, I'll spoil it. I don't mind. I'm, I'm actually going to a Harry Styles concert that the night of Halloween mm. in New York. Um, and I'm going to dress up as Olivia Rodrigo and her good for you music video with like the cheerleader outfit and the gloves. Cause you're saying gloves were coming back. And I was mm-hmm. like, true. I just bought some. <laughs> so I love that's that the plan for now. I love Olivia. Yeah, I think it'll girl. be fun. Do you actually, sorry, this is a deeper question, but I, I was one I had earlier that I didn't ask you, but do you feel like pop culture is digested a lot differently in New Zealand versus the US? I mean, I guess so. I think that we're just a little bit removed. Like we're obviously a 30 hour flight away on an island. <laughs> so it's like a, diff- a whole different experience. But I do think that still growing up in New Zealand, um, a, most of the like pop culture that we consumed was from America. And America's kind of like glamorized. And that's part of me actually moving away from America a little bit is because I do feel like America growing up, it was always put on this pedestal. And I just like this idea that you can only make it if you go to a place like New York, like you can only, and that now I've kind of, I do love New York and I I have loved living in America, but I am trying to disconnect from that idea because there's just so many amazing countries in the world and this US centric pop culture narrative is is interesting but I think being from New Zealand I also got to see like a little bit more maybe from the UK and then obviously we have our own celebrities we have Lords we have Flight of the Concords we have like <laughs> Rose Matafeo I love her are you familiar with her well I don't know her am I am I oh, she's awesome am I about she's, to be um, back in New Zealand now is she really no famous? no she, <laughs> um 
she I, I think she's kind of up and coming, but she did this show on HBO called Starstruck and it's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure she's good. Any New Zealand like celebrity that's like out in the world, I'm rooting for them. Like I don't listen to Lord's music that much, but I'm just like, I I have to be your fan because there's not that many of us around. So we, we just all have to support each other. Yeah, I love New Zealand. I, I studied abroad there in college in um, Dunedin. Oh, nice. So, wow, Dunedin. Yeah. You really, you got, you got an authentic uh college yeah. experience <laughs> I don't know if that I would have fun. even been able to do Dunedin the college <laughs> no I had a great time but I'm, I'm sad because we only kind of traveled around the South Island and I never made it to the North are you from the North Island or I'm from the South Island which is more beautiful but the North Island is more I guess like there's more going on so it is time for us to get to if you have one I, or I think about this a lot segment. Mm-hmm. Is there one you've come up with? Yeah, and it's not related to anything. That the pop, I don't know if it was meant to be like my anything to do with my work or pop culture, but I just I just like to go with the first things that pop into my head. So when I saw that, I do think too much probably about... The, my question is, at what age did we stop tucking each other into bed? Because... <laughs> because I miss that and I'm I think that what I think about a lot is I mean that's obviously one example but I I think as friends we should be tucking each other into bed I want a little kiss on my forehead like I don't know at what age that stopped happening but it just feels like very necessary throughout your 20s that's so adorable. But like, what if you live alone? You're just screwed. I know, exactly. Or if you're saying, you know, like there's all these things where as a child, we're tucked into bed, we get a little kiss on the forehead, whatever. And then it just stops and all of a sudden you're an adult and you're like, hold on, who's tucking me into bed tonight? Like, I need, <laughs> I need, I need that. It's so true. When I'm drunk, if I'm feeling like, you know, like a drunk tear, I live with my sister. And I always will ask him, like, can you tell me a story? <laughs> I know. I know. I think that, like, adulthood is a lot. And I don't know why we don't make it a little bit easier all for each other. I tuck, love that. Tuck That's your so friends sweet. into bed <laughs> is my, is my takeaway. Next time I have a sleepover, I'm going to put little chocolates on their bed and, like, have a little story read for them. Honestly, I'm, I'm sure. Excited. I'm sure everyone would appreciate that. We all need it. Not every day. Not every night. But sometimes. Well, like a treat. Mm-hmm. Just sometimes. <laughs> Do you have a legit shit to share with us? Okay, yeah. So I've got two. I just finished watching Maid, um, which, I mean, I feel like everyone's been watching Maid, so, like... I but- haven't yet, though. I was scared it was going to be too sad, and I was like, I don't know if I emotionally can handle that right now. It is sad. It definitely is sad. I wouldn't watch it. I mean, it's sad, but it's really good if you're in the mood to watch something like very real but if if you're kind of looking for escapism it probably isn't isn't the show for you to watch at that time but it was a really good show and I think that it's one of the shows that I I haven't really seen emotional abuse in relationships you know depicted like that in in television or movies at all um so just for that alone I found it like really really interesting um and then my second recommendation is actually the podcast Hidden Brain, which is my favorite podcast like in the world. Um, 
and there's an episode on like casual dating and it essentially goes into how it's all a scam <laughs> especially for women um and actually leaving men and women both really unhappy and ca- like hookup culture how how we're really not getting what we want from it like anyone um and i found that episode really interesting but the whole podcast is just like fascinating okay i know i should just go listen to the episode but did it mm-hmm. did it talk about how to battle that how to not casual date because i don't go on any dates i've never been on a date so anything that can tell me how not to do that i'm down you've never been on a date wait I, we need to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> no we talked about it on here before like oh, no one okay. needs, no, my listeners don't need to hear it again <laughs> i'm i'm like scared of men scared of not in a like i think i'm gonna get murdered way just in a i feel very social anxiety about it so Mm. I would love like what they said is a way around that because how do you just jump into (laughs) so that's yeah no that's fair enough I think okay so I think they really didn't go into not that I remember I really don't think they went into like how we can combat that but I just found it interesting that that the idea that like hookup culture is like serving men more which honestly I think it is but actually they interviewed a lot of like young boys who actually really do want deeper connections, but don't know. I think we're at a point where we don't even know how to connect anymore with each other. And it's all this game of who can care less about the other person. And that's really sad because it's, it's nice to care about people and we should all care about people, especially people that we're like dating. Um, And I used to, yeah, I used to engage in like casual dating hookup culture and I don't really anymore. And I think the only way out of it is to meet more people in person and also to like grow, to meet people that you find interesting, uh, start a friendship with them and then just see what happens. Like maybe there's a romantic spark there one day, but this emphasis of like, these are the people that I go on dates with. Like, this is a specific person I go on a date with. These are my friends. And they're like two very separate things. I don't know if that works for me. I think I like to like meet someone with friends. Maybe I start to get a crush on them. Maybe there's like that tension of like, will it, won't it? And I think that that is something that used to happen more before, like obviously more like dating apps and everything like that. Yeah, it's that idea of not immediately putting people in a box. Yeah, I think it's hard to do for myself, actually. Yeah, I think we keep dating so separate. We have our friends we go out with and then we go on Hinge or on Bumble or whatever. And we go on these specific dates. And I ask my friends sometimes, I'm like, well, would you be friends with them? And sometimes the answer is like, no, they have a whole boyfriend that they wouldn't even be friends with. And I, I for me, I mean, whatever works for you, but for me, I just think like the foundation of friendship is so important um, because it's what's going to last after the romance like inevitably fades. Um, So I don't know. I think what I, I don't have all the answers, but what I'm trying for myself at the moment is just to like go out and meet people, not put them in a box and see what happens and just try and meet more people in person. I think that's incredible advice and a great note to end on. But before we end, um, where can the kind of cute listeners follow you or find you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my name's Laura Pitcher. And I mean, I'm on, I'm on the other platforms, but I'm mostly on there. 
Her Instagram is very fun. She takes really cool film pictures, guys. So definitely follow her. I, <laughs> I'm enjoying it immensely. You're, you're hyping it up too much. <laughs> Don't no, expect it's too great. Much. <laughs> and you always post your articles. So you can always be on top of it when they come out. I do post my articles. Yeah, I post my articles. So if you're interested in the stuff I write about, it's on there. Um, and that's probably the best way. I'm on t- Twitter like sometimes, but not enough. Not enough to rig me in. I'm not either. I keep wanting to get into it and I just don't. But um, thank you so much, Laura. I know I've said thank you a million times, but I can't thank you enough. It really means so much to me that you would come on Kind of Cute. And I'm so excited for this episode to come out. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, tag me, tag Laura, tag Kind of Cute Podcast. And since I can't go a week without sharing my own legit shit and tied in with the fact that Laura is a vegan, is lately Kenzie and I have been really into using cashew cream that we make ourselves whenever we want to replace uh, heavy cream in a recipe and make it vegan. And it's so easy, guys. You just soak some cashews, raw cashews, in hot water and then you drain that water out, put it in a blender with a little bit of fresh water to get the consistency you want and blitz it on a really high speed in your blender and it makes this really delicious cream and I've just been loving it. It's so easy and fast and it tastes so good and this way you can just make a little batch at a time. You don't have to worry about a big thing of heavy cream you know, going bad in your fridge and if you have a little dairy sensitivity, I think this is great for that too. So check it out and I will see you next week. Bye!